This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly sermon podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's sermon. Wow, what a wonderful prayer that God would captivate us and, and just capture our presence um, and our full attention and our focus. I want to welcome you to New Life. My name is Ron. And uh, for those of you who are uh, here for the first time, it's actually only our second time, so um, welcome aboard. Uh, hopefully we have uh, most of the bugs worked out. We're going to have a great time over the next few minutes. I want to encourage you to take uh, the half sheet of notes on the inside of your program and fill them out, uh, the, fill in the blanks as we go along, and then uh, take those home and work through them uh, during the week. And you'll get a whole lot more out of what I'm going to say to you over the next few minutes. The first thing I need to do is put your mind at ease because many of you have already figured out that there's something wrong with my forehead besides there's no hair above it, all right? Um, you know, not everything I do in life is, is all that intelligent, so... Uh, <laughs> I was walking in the Home Depot parking lot, actually... And I was looking at a list, trying to figure out for sure what I needed, and so I was walking with my head down, and a car was coming, so I got over next to the vehicles here so I wouldn't be a hood ornament, and didn't realize that there was a pickup truck parked there that had a lumber rack and a two-by-four that was sticking well beyond it. It didn't move, and I stopped. (laughs) Just in case you're interested, I passed the test. I said nothing really bad other than, ah, that hurt. So, uh, yeah, anyway, so if you can put up with looking at uh, kind of an ugly-looking forehead, why, we'll get on with stuff that's vastly more important than that. Um, Wow. Today we're going to talk, in in the series of sermons that I've been bringing, nine days out of the life of Jesus. Today we're going to talk about, as Jesus often did, he taught on such practical subjects, things that um, probably wouldn't make it on too many theological campuses or if it did, they would make it boring and, and, and all the other stuff. Sometimes that theologians do with the plain and simple and easily understood teachings of Jesus. No matter who you are, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, a follower of Christ, not a follower of Christ, you may have been a follower of Christ for many, many years, But the subject that Jesus is going to deal with today is a subject that you're not only dealing with from time to time in your life, but as long as you live on this earth, you will struggle with this particular thing. I'm talking about doubts. Dealing with our doubts and dueling with our doubts and trying to figure out, okay, God, I want to be a person of faith and I really want to believe in you. And and by the way, virtually everybody I've ever met in my life wants to believe in God. The only people I've actually met that don't believe in God are people who are actually mad at Him. We're going to talk a little bit about that today uh, in, in the setting of the story out of the life of Jesus. But I wanted to start out by reading you a couple of stories about faith. They happen to be two of my favorites. The story is told of two nuns who were driving down a country road when they ran out of gas. They walked to a nearby farm, but the only container they had was a bedpan 
that they had brought along to help an elderly parishioner. Now the farmer inwardly smirked as he filled it up with gasoline, and even though he offered them a ride, they insisted on walking. So as they were pouring the contents of their bedpan into the gas tank, a pastor drove by. Glancing over, he couldn't believe what he saw. So he stopped and rolled down his window and he said, Excuse me, sisters, I'm not Catholic, but I can't help admiring your faith. (laughs) Charlie had been rushed to the Mercy Hospital for an emergency coronary surgery. The operation was successful, but in the chaos preceding it, he hadn't been able to completely fill out all of the paperwork. So still a little groggy from the anesthesia, the first voice Charlie heard in the recovery room was one of the Sisters of Mercy. Patting his hand reassuredly, she stated, Charlie, you're going to be just fine. Now, how do you intend to pay for your surgery? Are you covered by insurance, Mr. Smith? Uh, no, I don't have any insurance, he whispered rather hoarsely. Hoarsely. Well, can, can you pay it in cash? The sister continued. I'm afraid not, sister, he replied. Well, do you have any close relatives who could help you pay for it? The nun persisted. Actually, I, I, I have only one close relative, but she's just a spinster nun in Mexico, the man whispered. Sir, the sister scolded, I must correct you. Nuns are not spinsters. They are married to God. Wonderful, Charlie replied with a slight smile. In that case, please send the bill to my (laughs) brother-in-law. You know, the truth about faith is, that sometimes we tend to relegate faith to either the super-religious or the somewhat naive. And inside of all of us, there's a longing sometimes, I wish I could be that super-religious person that never has doubts, that just always trusts God and can always just surrender everything to Him and didn't have to worry and fret my way through life. And Or I wish I could be... That, that person that's even a little bit naive in life. If I could just be simple-minded and not worry about all these other things that, that I worry about. Now, we've all had those thoughts. In fact, when you look at a child and you see their simplicity and their naivety, there's not a single adult in this room that hasn't looked at a child and said, man, I'd love to live like that again. Yeah. But the truth is this. Yes, God made faith for the super-religious and for the naive, but the vast majority of people who are going to have faith in Him are going to be people just like you and me. Not necessarily the super-religious and certainly not necessarily the naive. You see, most pastors I know, including this one, from time to time struggle with doubts. 
have the same questions in my mind that you have in yours. I have the same feelings in my heart that you have in yours. Believe it or not, I don't wake up every day saying, oh my, what a glorious day. Thank you, Jesus. When my alarm clock goes off, I have that same feeling. You have to be kidding me. (laughs) It cannot be that time already. Yeah. So, so how do we struggle with those and what do we do with those? Well, in the story today, we're going to see one of the greatest men whose life was recorded in Scripture. We're going to see him struggle with honest-to-goodness doubts. And we're going to see Jesus help him deal with those doubts and respond to him. Because one of the big questions in life is, how does the Lord respond to me when I struggle? How does he respond to me when I have doubts? How does he respond to me when something happens in my life and I don't understand it and I begin to question the goodness of God? And if it stays in my life long enough, I may even question the existence of God. And and God forbid that I should get offended at him and mad at him because of something that's taking place in my life. Sooner or later, virtually every one of us in the audience We'll have to struggle with those thoughts and feelings. So let's take a look at this story. The Bible says two things about faith right up front. The first one is this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Very simple statement there. Not necessarily easy to live out in life. But the bottom line is, it's very clear. God says without faith... You're never going to make me happy. And if I had time to show you the full plan of God, you would understand that without faith, it would be impossible to please God. And it says in there, there's two things that I have to do. I have to believe that God exists, and I need to believe that it is His basic nature to be a rewarder. In other words, God is a giver, not a taker. He's, he's a, a, a lover, not a demander. He's generous and not tight and stingy. There's so many things that that verse says. Now, Romans chapter 1 says, It is through faith that a righteous person has life. In other words, there's a dimension to life that you can't get outside of faith. And if you want to be fully alive and really enjoy life and you want to get the most out of life, and at the end of your life, if you want to look back on it and say, it was a fantastic and wonderful ride. And not not all of it was great, but I'll tell you what, when I look back at it, that was just, that was a great life. If you want to be fully alive, you will never be fully alive without faith. Because it's through faith that people get fully alive. So in this story, the man that I speak of is John the Baptist, whom most of you have heard of. He was the prophet that God sent just prior to Jesus coming. We often call him the forerunner of Jesus or the forerunner of the Messiah. So let's just kind of pick up that story here. The disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything that Jesus was doing. And if I were to read to you what took place right in front of that, Jesus has healed a sick servant of a well-known Roman officer. And the interesting thing was he didn't even go to his house. 
He just spoke the word and the guy was healed. He raised a young man who was the only son of a widow. Um, he had healed many, many people. He, he was becoming very, very popular at this point in his ministry. And the disciples of John come and they tell him about everything that Jesus is doing. Now, John is in prison here shortly before the end of his life. And so John called for two of his disciples and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, Are you the Messiah we have been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Now that's a very interesting question for him to ask. John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? This is the same John that when he baptized Jesus, he saw the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus in the form of a beautiful dove. He heard the voice of God thunder from heaven. This is the Son I love and with whom I am well pleased. This is the same John who said to the crowds who were following him as Jesus walked along, he said, look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the same John that when people came to him and said, John, did you realize that that Jesus guy you pointed to is making and baptizing more disciples than you? And John looked at the crowd and said, you must understand something. He must increase and I must decrease. So what happened to John? Why would he then send this message to say, Hey Jesus, are you the real deal? Well, I'll tell you what happened. None of us ever question God when life is good, right? When everything's going well and we're getting everything we want and we're well and we're healthy and everybody we know is well and healthy and there's a lot of food on the table and we just got a raise at work and we bought a brand new car and we've gone on vacation and God is good, God is wonderful. None of us question the goodness or the greatness of God or His generosity or any of that stuff. And then all of a sudden we go to the doctor and the doctor says, put your house in order. It's not looking good for you. We go, where's God? You see... When John the Baptist got the call to be the forerunner of Jesus, he was all on board with that. And he was out preaching and teaching and people were coming and he was baptizing them and he was saying, boy, you better believe in the one coming after me because I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. I'll tell you what, he, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I mean, the real deal is coming. He is the Messiah and he's coming in your day and he's coming in your time and you better get your heart ready for him because he's going to usher in the kingdom of God and it's the greatest thing that could ever happen on the face of the earth and everybody was coming and they were getting baptized and life was really, really great. And then one day the king decided that he was mad at John and he had him arrested and he took him and he threw him in the dungeon. And that was it. No more ministry. No more people coming. No one coming to be baptized. And here's John sitting in a dungeon day after day looking at the same four walls and getting a few visitors and that's it. 
And you know what John's thinking? How's this fit in the plan? If I'm going to be a forerunner of Jesus, I'm not doing much running down here, God. And there's certainly no one coming. I don't understand. And John begins to wrestle with this doubt. Everything I've believed in for all of my life and everything I've invested my life in, what if it's nothing but a grand delusion and it's not real? What if that guy I pointed to is not actually the Son of God and the Messiah? What if there's nothing to this and I'm sitting down here in this lonely, stinking, cold, dark, and damp dungeon for no good reason? You know what John needed? He needed some reassurance. Because the circumstances in his life were just not what he thought they would be. Yeah. So, lesson number one is this. Even the strongest Christians sometimes have doubts. Even the strongest among us. So when you have a doubt, or you, you even have a very large doubt, or more than one doubt, don't write yourself off as, oh my goodness, I must be an unbeliever because real Christians never have these thoughts or these feelings. That's just not true. John the Baptist, who was the very forerunner of Jesus, had some of those same thoughts and those same feelings, and he struggled with them. But the second message is very, very important, and that is this. The proper place to take our doubts is to Jesus. You see, when you have a doubt, whether the doubt rises up and conquers you and destroys your faith, or whether you end up conquering that doubt and living in faith, is all determined on what you do with that doubt. I wrote down in my notes this thing. When I have doubts, I need to approach God not isolate from Him. I watch Christians go through this and I see, I see some Christians and something happens in their life that they don't understand and they can't figure out how in the world this could be the will of God. And by the way, it's amazing how many things happen in our life that we automatically assume God's responsible for that one um, when that's not necessarily the case. And that's a topic for another sermon. But... When something happens we don't understand or don't like or can't explain in the, in the context of where we are, it's so easy for us, well, to do one of two things. I watch one group of Christians and they draw closer to God and they say, God, would you help me understand this? And even if I can't understand it, would you help me just accept it and not be defeated by it and not allow it to injure my faith in you would you help me to walk in faith in spite of this thing in my life that I don't fully understand or comprehend? And by the way, God, if I was designing my life, it wouldn't be in there. Just so you know. And then I watch an, a totally other different group of Christians. And when something comes into their life, like prison for John, and they don't understand it, they start to isolate from God and withdraw. And now they don't pray. 
because they don't feel like praying. And they start not coming to church because they don't feel like coming to church. And they start dropping out of their life group because they don't really feel like going to a life group. Because when I go to a life group, everybody there is happy and everybody there is praying and everybody there is trusting in God. And I don't want to trust in God right now. And I don't like to trust in God. And they just start withdrawing. And you know what happens? You see, whatever doubts you have in life, they will either, by your choice, draw you closer to God or take you away. And the further you get away from God, the bigger that doubt will get and the less strength you'll have to deal with it. So you know what John did? He's wasting away in this prison and he's got these doubts. John does the right thing. He said, I need to take these doubts straight to Jesus. Because I know I can get some help there. And he did. Let's pick up the story. At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases and illnesses. And he cast out evil spirits and restored sight to many who were blind. Then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and what you have heard. Wow. The lesson in this is lesson number three, and here it is. God does not judge us by our doubts or for our doubts. Isn't it amazing? John sends this message to Jesus. Are you the one or should we look for someone else? And he does not get a message back from Jesus. Golly, buddy, how much more evidence does it take? What in the world are you thinking? There's none of that. There's no judgment in here. He doesn't send John on a guilt trip. You know what he does? The interesting thing about about Jesus is he actually comes to the defense of John. We'll see that a little bit later in wonderful loyalty. But he gives him some reassurance. And and that's exactly what what John needed. In fact, as we pick up the story here in the next part, you'll see how Jesus does it. The blind see. This He said, you go back and tell John what you've seen, what you've heard. And here's what they saw and they heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him, now God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. By the way, if you're wondering if Jesus was the real deal, just read through that list one more time. The blind see, the lame walk, Lepers are cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life. That's pretty fair credentials, wouldn't you say? Yeah, only the Son of God is going to make that happen. So John, I know you're doubting, buddy, and I know you're rotting away down there in prison, and I know you're totally confused because you didn't see this as a part of God's plan, and you didn't understand how it was all going to come down, how it was all going to work, but you did a great job, and you pointed people to me, and guess what, John? They're coming to me, and they're being healed, and they're being restored, and they're being made whole in life again, and guess what, John? Even greater than than healing the, the lame and the sick, and giving sight to the blind, and hearing to the deaf. The greatest thing, John, is I'm preaching the good news of the kingdom to people who need it most. In other words, John, you didn't live your life in vain. It wasn't a grand delusion. 
Everything, John, you've believed in, everything you've given your life to, all the blood, all the sweat, all the tears, all those months of ministry out there in the desert with people coming and baptizing them, guess what, John? It was and still is all a part of God's great plan. You see, what he gave is God brings the reassurance that we need convincing evidence to help us overcome our doubts. By the way, you might not be rotting in prison. (coughs) You might not be any of the things that John was, but you may have great doubts today. I can tell you for sure that if you get on your knees and you say, God, I'm struggling with my doubts. I'm struggling to hang on. I'm struggling with my faith. God will bring into your life some convincing evidence of his existence and his goodness. But you have to have your eyes open and you have to be willing to hear it. You know what John really wanted? Well, think with me for just a minute. <clears throat> if you were in prison and you couldn't see any good reason why you were in prison and you were unjustly put in prison and there was Jesus, the Son of God, out there preaching and teaching away and you had the opportunity to request one miracle, what might it be? Could you get me out of here? Now as the story ends, guess where John is? He's still in prison. You see, a lot of times the evidence that we want is not the evidence that God supplies because... Anybody can trust in God if he solves every problem in their life. You know, I watched a show just the other day, Mega Yachts. These are yachts that are $50 million and more. 150 to 250 feet long, 25 to 40 feet wide. One of those yachts was 262 feet long and 40 feet wide. Now figure that out. 250 feet by 40 feet is 10,000 square feet, and it had three decks. That's as big as this entire building. Okay? For two people. <laughs> you know, Lord, if you just give me a mega yacht, I would worship you. <laughs> It's so easy to fall into that mindset that if God would just make everything great in my life and good in my life and whatever the latest problem that I've encountered, if God would just take that problem away, then somehow I could fully trust in Him and I could fully believe in Him. And John wanted to be out of prison so badly. But you know what? Jesus said, John, if you're looking for evidence, I'm going to give you a lot of evidence, buddy. But the one thing that you want me to do for you, I can't explain to you now but I'm not going to do that for you. You know, that's the challenge of faith. And it's the challenge that I would give to you today. It's the challenge that God would give to you today. Everyone can believe in God when it's going well. But our faith is tested when there's something we really, really want. Or, in John's case, we feel like we really, really deserve And somehow the answer comes back, no. Now, God will bring evidence into our life, but we have to have our eyes open for it 
and we have to be willing to accept it. Let's pick up the story again. After John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? By the way, if you study this story, John the Baptist wore um, camel hair garment and a leather belt, and he ate um, grasshoppers and wild honey. So he said, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes and living in luxury? Why, no. People who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Oh, yes. And he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the Scriptures refer when they say this. Look. I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare my way before you. I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Wow. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. Now before I get to the lesson in there, I want you to see something. There's a loyalty in Jesus. Because he knew there were people standing around and these people had just seen him raise the dead. They had just seen him heal the blind and and give hearing to the deaf. They had seen him heal lepers. All these things that were just no one could do. And here comes a messenger, two of them actually, from John the Baptist. Uh, Master, we have a question for you from John the Baptist. Are you the real deal? And Jesus knew that the people standing around him would look at those guys and go, what? And Jesus comes to the defense of John and says, he gave him what he needed. The guys leave. Jesus turns to the crowd and says, so you guys are struggling with who John is. Well, let me talk to you about John. I understand that question he asked and he's struggling with doubts, but I want you to understand something. He's not two things. Number one, he's not weak. See, a lot of times we feel like if we have doubts, we're weak. That's not true. If you choose to live in doubt and you choose to get offended at God, that's a whole different deal. But just the fact that that you have doubts doesn't mean you're weak. And Jesus wanted them to know that John wasn't weak. He was not some weak reed that was swayed by every wind. And the second thing he wanted them to know about John was he wasn't soft either. You think you're going to get some guy out there dressed in beautiful clothes that's never worked a day in his life and never had a real problem in his life, born with a silver spoon in his mouth, and you think that's why John's having doubts? Well, that's not true. John was not weak, and he isn't soft. But yeah, he's human. He's like everybody else. When the circumstances get tough, there are times when the doubts that we have in our soul rise up to the surface and we have to deal with them. And then he went on to say, was he a prophet? He was more than a prophet. I like to watch golf. Sometimes I like to try to play golf. Okay? There's a golfer who won the U.S. Open last week. His name is Tiger Woods. And oftentimes when he tees off, okay, as soon as he hits the ball, someone in the crowd will yell, 
You the man. And he does kind of make all the other golfers look like boys. That's true. You know what Jesus was saying of John? You the man. Yeah. I know some people might think you're weak and some people might think you're soft. But Jesus said, no. You're not only the man, you're the prophet. The greatest prophet ever. And then he went on to say, what actually is this lesson? And the lesson out of this is that, and I call it the bonus lesson because it's on a totally different subject, but I want you to get it. Being a prophet of God's kingdom doesn't actually compare with being a member in it. You know, if you had the choice between being a beat writer for the Boston Celtics or actually playing on their NBA championship team, which would probably be the greater if you didn't hate the Boston Celtics? All right? For those of you who hate the Boston Celtics, all right? Ha, any day, let me play on the team. Let me be a member of the team. Let me wear that championship ring. Because you know something? The beat writers for the local Boston papers didn't get a championship ring. They didn't fly in the plane with the team. They weren't in the locker room. They never handled the basketball. They never made a single shot. There's nothing There's nothing in, in the stat sheet of the games that ever has their name because though they're writing about it and they're talking about it and they're being interviewed about it, they are not a Boston Celtic. And you know, John was the greatest prophet to ever talk about the coming kingdom. But you know what he wasn't? He wasn't a member in that kingdom because Jesus hadn't died yet. He hadn't purchased the forgiveness of all of our sins. And Jesus wanted the people surrounding him to know that if you could view all of the history of mankind from way back there the first day when God created Adam and Eve all the way to the last day when Jesus comes again and you could look at all the experiences of all of mankind and you were to ask yourself one question, what is the greatest and highest and best experience that any human being has ever had at any day at any time? You get a singular answer. Last Sunday was a fun day for me, for many reasons. It was Father's Day. My day started with a telephone call from Greece where my oldest daughter and her family are vacationing. And it was at 6 o'clock in the morning, and it was Happy Father's Day, Dad. First time I ever got a Father's Day phone call from Greece. That was pretty fun. Came down here, we opened this church facility, and it was just fun. It was fabulous. We had such a great time. When I got home, my wife said to me, she said, uh, any way we could improve this day? I think, well, golly, when you open a brand new church facility and it's Father's Day, I mean, how do you improve on that? So I thought for a minute and I said, you know, I can only think of one thing. I'm with my family all day today. I was with my church family all day. You know, the U.S. Open is on. It would be fun to watch that. Now, we moved into our house about three months ago, and we've never bought a TV since we moved in the house. And so we had a little 19-inch 
thing that uh, I couldn't even hook up to a stereo system because it didn't have any uh, audio outputs. And, uh, and so we haven't watched TV, and I knew there was no chance of watching the U.S. Open. And she said, well, would you like to watch it in high definition? I said, yeah. <laughs> and she said, well, come on inside. I walked around the corner, and there was a big flat panel LCD TV, and the guy from Dish Network was hooking it up. And by mid-afternoon, I was watching the U.S. Open in high-definition TV in my own house. I want you to think with me for a minute. That's a pretty good day, right? Open a new church building, Father's Day, watching golf, which is my favorite sport, on high-definition TV, in my own living room, eating homemade pizza with my wife. And my other daughter. But you know what Jesus said? You know, Ron, that's a great day. But it doesn't compare with one other thing in your life. There are things better. One thing better than opening a new church facility and Father's Day and all the rest of that, as wonderful it is, as it is, the opportunity to be a member in God's eternal kingdom to have your sins forgiven, to have every promise of God available to you, to know that if you die today, you will be with God forever in eternity. The opportunity to have an eternal purpose in your life right down here on this earth and to be a member of God's kingdom, Ron, that's the greatest thing that can happen in life and everything else you have pales in comparison to that one thing. Isn't that true? That is absolutely the truth. And so Jesus said, even the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist because they're in. Okay? Now let's finish this and see what we've got. He says, now, when they heard this, all the people, even the tax collectors, agreed that God's way was right, for they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in religious law rejected God's plan for them, for they had refused John's baptism. You know, when you get down to the end of this story, there it is. There's lesson number five. The choice of faith is always mine. You know something? Here's one group of people. There's only two groups of people in the end of life. This is the microcosm of life. Standing there in front of Jesus, there's only two groups of people. On the one hand, you have all of the people. They have seen the blind see, and they have watched the deaf hear, and they've seen lepers cured. They've seen the dead raised. They've heard with their own ears the wonderful news of the coming kingdom of God. They've seen it all, and they said, I want to choose that. I might not understand everything about life, and it might not always make sense to me, but I do know this. I have seen the Son of God with my own eyes, and I'm willing to trust Him with all that I have and all that I am because I recognize that He can teach me the truth about life even when I don't understand it fully. I'm on board with Him. And then there was the other group of people, the Pharisees. They had seen all of the same evidence. They had seen the blind see. They had seen the deaf hear. They had seen the lepers cleansed. They had seen the dead raised. They had heard all the same messages. And they looked at it and they said, it's not what I want. It's not what I choose to believe in. Jesus is too different from the from the Messiah that I want. 
He didn't come riding a big white horse. And he didn't come into the city of Jerusalem and sit on a throne and put me in a place of importance in his kingdom. Why, he treats me like I'm just an ordinary, everyday person, like the rest of these people. And after all, I am Joseph the Pharisee. I don't want to believe in that kind of Jesus because he's not what I want. The choice is ours. You know, as we, as we wrap up this message, I, I want to say two things, okay? The, two two dis, different couplets here. The first is see versus surrender. You know, oftentimes in our life, it's not that we can't see God at work. In fact, oftentimes in life, we see God at work, but the problem is we see Him working in the lives of other people. And because we see Him working in the lives of other people until He does for us what we want, we're not willing to surrender. My guess is that seated right in the chairs this morning, there are people who years ago made a decision to become a follower of Christ, but there are issues in your life today that you have allowed to stand between you and fully believing in Jesus. And because what is taking place in your life is not what you want, you border on being offended at God and blaming Him for something in your life. I want to point out to you one more time that as the story ends, John remains in prison. But the inference in the story is he fully believes. Even though he doesn't understand how prison fit into God's plan, even though he didn't understand any of that stuff, he, the one thing he knew, if Jesus is giving sight to the blind and healing the deaf and healing the lepers and raising the dead and preaching the good news of God's coming kingdom. I'm on board with that, and that's all I really need to know. And and I want to say to you, those of you who are struggling with some issue in your life, that this is a morning when God calls you, even if you don't understand what that thing is, to surrender it. And to say, I can walk away from here fully in faith if I'll take my doubts to Jesus and just surrender and say, God, you don't have to explain everything to me for me to believe in you. I will believe in you even even when I don't fully understand. And then the second couplet is this, in verses out. In that crowd, there were either people who were with Jesus and trusting Him, or there were the Pharisees who, didn't you find it interesting how the Bible puts that? They rejected God's purpose for their life. Now you've come to church, and when you come to church, I would assume that you're seeking God somewhere in there, which is a great thing. I just want to give you a challenge. Not because the pastor's going to twist your arm up in the middle of your back and make you feel guilty. If you come here regularly, you know that I'm not into, into manipulating people by guilt. Jesus wasn't and I don't. But boy, I would be remiss if I didn't encourage you to do what Jesus died for you to do. 
the greatest thing that you can ever experience in this life is membership in God's kingdom. And on the day that Jesus comes, or on the last day of your life, or even this morning, in this crowd, everyone seated here is either in or you're not. And even God won't make that choice for you. He gives it to you. So I'm going to pray. And when I pray, if you're ready to make that choice, then I want you to say that to God while I pray. On your welcome card, there's a place that you can record that. And if you do, then we'll sit and talk with you this week and make sure you get that decision made well. Would you join me? Father, thank you for understanding that we are but dust and that we struggle sometimes with doubts. And thank you for not casting us into the pile of people who haven't chosen to believe in you. But thank you for understanding that doubting is part of what we go through in this life. And thank you for coming alongside of us and giving us the evidence that we need. And thank you for accepting us and changing our lives. And God, this morning, for those who are struggling with some issue in life that they feel like they've been unfairly treated, and because of that, they're questioning you or your goodness. Lord, would you enable them to just surrender that and to recognize that we might not understand everything, but if we understand that you're good and that you have an eternal plan for us and whatever we encounter in this life that we don't understand, it in no way takes away from your eternal plan. And then, Lord, would you help those of us who need to choose to become part of your kingdom that we would make that choice today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information and past sermons, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.